You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I had a word for us, obviously, on Sunday. Um, it just really... Uh, there's... The Lord has not said that we need to do any one specific thing on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. It's kind of just been this, if you see a need, okay, go for it. If there's a desire to fill that space with something that you want to do, go for it. And um, I'm in the process of of speaking with someone about, uh, this a member of our church, uh, about getting them teaching regularly on Wednesday nights for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, one for them, just to get some more experience, but also just an incredible, incredible perspective that they have on the Lord um, and the way He speaks and what He puts puts in their minds and uh, how He organizes that. So I would like for them to have that opportunity and for us to have that opportunity to to hear from somebody else. It's really it's cool right now with everything that the Lord is doing and this this unity and spirit that we get to see and participate in the amount of teaching that ties in so well uh, and it's across the board it's it's not just staff members it's members in the congregation so I would like for us to have the opportunity to hear from those those people so we're going to be doing that in the coming weeks but really just I, I'll be gone uh, again this Sunday and uh, at a at, we're officiating a wedding for my cousin in Fredericksburg and uh, it's Saturday evening so we're not going to try to rush back. We've got Zach Stevens is actually going to be teaching Sunday morning, which I'm excited about for what he has and what the Lord's been putting on his heart, but just really needed to not have three weeks before I got to deliver this word. Just so, so much needed to, uh, there's so much urgency behind it based on the word that we heard that the Lord has given for this new year that, that it is, it is a year of being marked and it is a year of of, of being marked by our devotion. There's, there's already such a clarity in this line that's been drawn, just like this, this row right here that we have of either section. We're already seeing such a clear divide of, of where people are standing, and that's continuing, and it's going to increase. And um, the Lord is redefining, you know, we've, we had this conversation, uh, the staff this week, about just what it is to have devotion to the Lord and allowing that word to be defined by God and not what we have previously defined it as. Devotion to the Lord, if we were gonna be marked by our devotion, we would start saying, and we could very quickly make a list in our head of what that would look like. And it's the same, it falls into the same trap of the routine of a Sunday morning. And so allowing the Lord to redefine what, what it is, if, he, if we are to be devoted to him and that's what is to mark us and people are to see that and know that we are his and belong to him, what does that devotion actually look like? Does it look like 15 Bible studies and subscribing to all of the pastors and all the different Bible study books and um, showing up to 15 church services, parking outside even when church is closed just to be near church um, what does it actually look like? But this, this evening, I would like for us to talk about something that I'm seeing in this divide. I'm, I'm seeing itself 
made very clear in, in Christian brothers and sisters. This is not just something that we see in the world. This is something that we are seeing in, in those that call God their father and that say that they walk with the spirit of God. It's, it's, it's something that is an easy trap for believers to fall into. And so I want us to talk about that this evening. If you'll go ahead and turn to Luke 19. Now this is coming from, this is tying in, I'm using some of Randy's Sunday school from two weeks ago to build into this. As the Lord was writing and showing me this, um, I was also listening to Randy's, Randy's Sunday school shortly after the Lord had given me this word and made this recognition to me. A few days later, I was listening to Randy's Sunday school. And so much uh, of what he had taught in there had, uh, were, were building blocks for what I want us to talk about this evening. And um, we all know this, but I, I mean, I, the longer I live here, the more I hate going out of town. I hate it. I hate losing like the flow of things that you settle into. I, I really just don't like leaving home. If I had a choice of staying in sundown or traveling the world, I'd, I'd stay in sundown. I'd be good. I'm all right. I like sundown. I'd be good here. Um, and so there's always this process of trying to get back into the groove of things. And I can't stand that because I always feel like I'm behind. But at the same time, the stepping back and then re-entering allows for fresh perspective. And this, this came with that fresh perspective. Again, we're in Luke 19. This is a familiar story. We'll start in verse 12. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizen, citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minute has made 10 men as more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minute has made five minutes. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your minute, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minute from him and give it to the one who has 10 minutes. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minutes. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then I would like for us to go all the way to the front of the book in Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so. I put my paper clip in the wrong way. I couldn't see those last three words. And it was so. Okay, this is, verse 28 is one of those verses that we very quickly skim over. Very quickly skim over. We, we pay attention and we put a lot of emphasis on verse 27, but we forget that there was immediate action from God after he created male and female, and that was blessing. But we don't actually bring any attention. I've never heard any attention brought in the way that Randy brought it in his Sunday school lesson of us recognizing what it is in verse 28 that he did. He blessed us, but how did he bless us? He blessed us with fruitfulness, being able to go and be fruitful and reign over the earth and have dominion over all of the earth. That was his blessing. And we see right then and there, you want to see an argument for God is not in control. He's in charge. Boom. He made us and he gave us the, the ability to be in control of the things around us. He said he has given dominion over us. Be fruitful and multiply that you would have dominion over every, these, every one of these things that I have created for you to have dominion over. And we don't ever pay attention to that. We look at verse 27. Oh man, he made me. Cool. And that's where we stop. And so much has been lost. So much Teaching and just foundational truth has been lost because we stop reading and we don't see the fullness of the picture that God has painted for us to understand who we are in the scheme of things. But the thing is, in that verse 28, recognizing that blessing, if we are to receive it, we're in there, and it's very easy to see, but you can see in there that there is effort required on our behalf. Tell me one thing you can have dominion over where there is no work required. You can't. No such thing exists. Dominion over everything. And when Jesus died and rose and conquered death, we regained dominion. He died. He reconciled the earth back to God himself. And now when we receive Jesus, we receive that blood, that sacrifice, and we receive the Spirit of God full in us again. Our spirit is alive again as it was in verse 27 when he created us, as it was intended back in the garden, redeeming and restoring what was always meant to be. Dominion and the blessing that was there in verse 28 was also restored. It was also restored. It was given back. It was taken back. By what Jesus did in the conquer, conquering of death. The battle now won. And we, this really isn't the emphasis, the teaching on the battle. I would ask you to go listen to Randy's Sunday school two weeks ago if you want more on this, this battle. But 
We are so obsessed with that word and the church. I've been listening to a song, and I won't name it because it's not a positive thing I have to say, but I've been listening to it for almost three days. Not because, and it is a worship song, but it is a worship song about the battle and about being in battle and about this this fight that we have to constantly fight and inching and inching and inching and inching forward. Just blown away and allowing the spirit to read to, okay, what is, what is it, what does it mean to really understand that the battle has been won? What, did, what does it mean then to operate in a spiritual realm where the battle is finished? He has defeated it. There is no enemy with any power over us anymore. What does it look like to live in a world like that? Truly victorious and to operate truly victorious. We talk about that. We get all gung-ho about it. We've got camps and stuff all over it. We love talking about being victorious. But where are those that live victorious? Because what I see is I see a lot of people that live in a battle. But if the battle's won, what battle are we living in? This one that we're creating. We're creating it. We're creating it. We are now to plunder that which Satan lost when Jesus defeated him and his kingdom. Everything that he stole in that moment at the garden, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and everything that he took and separated, and this division that now was created between us and God, us and Creator, our inability now to be full of the Holy Spirit until this redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Everything that he took now is ours again. And we get to plunder that back. I love that word plunder. It makes you feel like a pirate when you say it. But we see ourselves in battle still. And if we see ourselves in battle, then we see ourselves constantly measuring. We are constantly measuring. If we see ourselves in a battle, we are measuring the enemy. Constantly measuring the enemy. I don't know how often I have to deal with this. I have to address people with this. They get so upset with me sometimes. But I can only address it because I myself lived it. I've got a tire that's getting flat on my truck right now. I have to take it to Hometown Tire. I'll spend $10 and they'll fix it. But if I had had that pointed out to me at Dollar General like it was this evening, what happens in our world, the Christian world, when we see ourselves living in a battle is we don't just turn to this normal, very normal thought of, well, that stinks. Oh, well, I'll I'll deal with it later. But then we turn into this, what's going on, man? The enemy's really coming at me. He's really attacking me. It's been a rough day. I had to set up electric fence for my sister because their dogs are insane and a simple chain link fence won't get the job done, so we're going to shock them. But I had to build that under a shed like right there at the lip of the roof with all this ice melting at, at 9 a.m. So just like, like working with electrical wires and stuff. It's like, this is safe. 
and fun. I'm having a great time. But I could very easily, and we see it so often, people very easily in this process, why is this happening to me? And it's this, I feel very persecuted. The enemy is attacking me. He's trying to take my peace. It's like, no, that's just, unfort- that's just kind of a crappy thing that just you got to do. Sorry. It's not that big a deal. But that's what it is to live in a battle versus to live victorious. We're measuring. These things are happening to me. They're not happening in my life. That's a normal thing. It's just a thing that happens. But everything that's slightly negative is happening to me. It's a direct attack at me. So we're constantly measuring this this make-believe enemy, really. Satan's just sitting there like, I'm not even doing anything. This is so easy. I haven't had to get up in, in years. These people do it all for me. We measure the world around us. If we see ourselves in a battle, then we can see ourselves swept up in things that are shaking the world. We are not of the world. But if we see ourselves in a battle, then the things of the world will shake us too. Like we see right now. The shaking, very clear shaking that's happening. And I mean, I don't know, how, how, do you, how do you walk back a prophecy of something that is absolutely not happening? And cannot be scripturally supported. It's like, there's going to be some shaking there. That's an uncomfortable place. But we found ourselves processing everything that was going on from the place of I am in a battle. Not I am in a victorious place. And we measure our relationships. We measure what people will do for us and what they won't do for us. How they'll push me forward, propel me forward, or bring me back. Who they are... We, and we, we start measuring people in the actions, right? It's this, I, I always get, I, I get to use this when, I, when I'm officiating. I'll use it this weekend. It's this love based on what you do for me. We find ourselves doing that when we live in a battle. When we live unvictorious, we cannot love others around us with a victorious love because we've not received it for ourselves. If we receive the love of Christ, then we don't live in a battle. We live in victory. Because that's where the love of Christ is. It's in victory. But because we see a battle and not a victory, all of this was built up to this point. What the Lord was showing me that the children of God submit themselves to so often because of this view of the battle and not victory is we submit ourselves to a spirit of helplessness. We choose helplessness. It's, it's this, this vision of a defeated kingdom standing before us. There's not an enemy left standing in the gates, behind the walls. This kingdom is done. It is destroyed. But we refuse to enter it. We're standing outside the gates thinking, man, I can't wait for somebody to go in there and bring something out. I'm not going. Because that's hard. It'll be difficult. But let's, let's just imagine a game real quick. If I gave you a bag, big old black duffel bag, big old bag, and I showed you a room just stacked with $100 bills, I said, you've got two minutes to get as much as you can out of there. How many of you would go to work? Oh, you go to work. 
That's, I mean, that's not even a question. How many of you would come out sweaty, out of breath? And will that bag be heavy? Oh, you best believe if I've got two minutes in a room full of money, that bag's going to be heavy when I come out. And was that work worth it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very worth it. Was it a battle? Nope. You got told, just go take everything in there that you want. Take it. It's yours. Whatever you touch and can put in that bag, it's yours. For two minutes. You have complete reign and authority over that room to do whatever you want and gather as much as you can. And when you walk out, yeah, you'll be tired. You'll be exhausted. You'll be sweaty. That bag's going to be heavy. But it's not going to be hard to carry because you know what it's full of. That's not going to be hard. I mean, you could tell me if I got to keep all the bags and they, I knew they were full of money, I'm not, I'm not going to get tired of carrying it. It's not going to be hard, right? That's a different kind of work. It's because it's a different perspective. But instead, we sit and we wait for it to be done for us because it's kind of difficult. We, because we know, well, I've only got two minutes, and that's a I mean, that's going to that's gonna be tough. I might have to get down on my knees and scoop it into the bag. Then I'm going to have to carry the bag out, and that's going to be hard. So what, what if somebody else goes in there and then brings me the bag? That don't work. But that's how we viewed this, this obedience to God the Father in living this life. It's kind of difficult. But we have been so blinded by the nature of this battle. And there's a major difference in believing we are still in the fight versus believing in the victory and plundering of the goods. And it, it makes so much sense. We've been taught very, very well about the compassion that propelled Jesus to these places where the Lord would work miracles through him. Compassion. But where do we see him say, is it okay if I go? Is it all right? And the Lord said, yeah, you can go heal him. He operated in the will of God freely. There is freedom in the backyard. It's this example, again, my children have so much freedom in my will, which is that backyard. And yes, there are absolutely moments where I tell them, go do this. Come help me with this. But there are also moments where I just let them exist in freedom in the will. And we're so scared to embrace that freedom in the will of God. For freedom, he has set us free. Freedom is a person. Freedom is found in the will of God. It is Christ. And when we abide, when we remain in, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me, we have so much freedom in this will. So that's why we can go out there and we can see a need, we can fill a need. None of these projects are prayerfully considered before God, can we tear down this house? No. There's a need and we... We're really good at it. We're great at tearing down houses. Every church needs a Danny Green. Just that one guy that's just good at destruction. But we've been good at it. And it's, it's not because we needed the Lord to tell us something specific to do. He said, go be kindness. And we saw an avenue for us to go be kindness. He said to be marked 
He said to pursue him. He said to be all in. He said to be kindness. He said to go out and, and, and embrace the prodigal sons and daughters who are seeking to return home. But that would be like the father waiting on the porch instead of running out to meet his son. That running out to embrace his lost son who's now come home required effort. And there was no one else to do it but him because no one else was his father. I don't know about anybody else, but I know what the Lord has said here. And so that's the only place I can keep accountable because I know what the Lord has spoken here. And we have been called to go out. And there are, there's effort required in that. But if we submit to this spirit of helplessness, the spirit that is very common in the church of God, that if God really wants it done, he'll send somebody else. It's the same thinking. The Lord was telling me this this week of this very common thing that we hear in the church of pastor, that word was for me. But the thing is, if that thought exists, and that's great. If that thought exists, the opposite exists. We don't go tell the pastor that, but we'll sit there and, this isn't really for me, this is for somebody else. And that's how we've prioritized the work of God that he's assigned us to. That's not really, he, when he says to go meet the prodigal sons and daughters, he's not, he's not talking about me. There's somebody in here that's gonna do that. That is a spirit of helplessness. I'm just, I, I'm helpless to do this. This is not, I'm not qualified for this. That's somebody else. I'm too busy. The Lord put me here on this earth to do my nine to five. Like that's, that's not what it is, but we, and I'm not just talking, of, I'm not talking about this house specifically, though, does it exist? Of course it exists in us. These things exist in us. Not to the degree, degree that we see, but I'm also speaking about this because I'm, I'm coming from a place that we spend in the holidays where there's, there's over 10 pastors. Like I can't even come up with 10 positions to pay a person full time. And then I don't even know who, how do you staff up those positions with other positions under them. I can't, I can't even make up enough stuff to have 10 pastors. Oh yeah, one church. Very common, very common, very normal. 10 is not a, and 10 is not a remarkably large number for a church anymore. It's like a, oh, they're doing all right. It's just, it's, the world we live in. It's, it's a business world. The church has adopted a business world, but we see all this, but where is, where is the result of 5,000 people meeting on a Sunday? It's gotten real hard for me to watch these big, massive worship services because I'm like, okay, but where are we after? But the, it, it's just, it's plagued the church. And I need us, that this evening is about recognizing that it's there and it is slowly and with much effort trying to creep into all of our stories that we would find ourselves disqualified or helpless to step up to what God has called us into. If you've heard it, if your ears have heard the words of what the Lord has called this house into, then you've also been qualified for it and anointed for it. You came in qualified, but you left anointed. And we've been very intimidated by the enemy 
Because when we're constantly measuring this, this made up thing and we're using every circumstance that's somewhat negative that happens in our story and we're, we're giving credit to the enemy for that, he's, he starts to look really big. And what we start to do in that place and it feeds the spirit of helplessness is just like the Israelites coming to Canaan and Deuteronomy when they sent their spies out there, their 12 spies, and they see all these giants and they're murmuring in their tents against God because they were so focused on the size of the enemy and not the size of him who sent them. It is not hard to feel helpless right now if you start focusing on the circumstances that surround us outside of this building. The chaos that we see right now. Watch TV, live TV for 20 minutes. And, and see if it's not like, well, that's kind of overwhelming to just focus on all that. But the thing is, the Lord has given us the perfect answer. It's a mystery. It doesn't totally make sense because it's not what we would come up with. It's not what we think he needs to do. But he's, he's told us and he's given us every step that we need to take. But instead, submitting to the spirit of helplessness, we're focused on the size of the enemy in front of us and the circumstance in front of us and not the size of him who sent us. And so we fall into helplessness. We cannot be caught assessing the size of the enemy. We must remain steadfast, focused on the size of him who sent us. And, and this again, this is another thing that came from the Sunday school lesson. Every action of every day, every word of every sentence announces our belief about our Father. And so if we are a people subjected to a spirit of helplessness, trembling at the size of the circumstance in front of us, what has that announced to the world about who our Father is to us? And so the spirit of helplessness continues. So much so that we're seeing a generation that just comes into something kind of difficult and it's like, ah, I give up. I can't do it. And it's, it's been a thing that I, I first encountered in college. Um, I've, I've got students that I'm walk, walking through... Uh, trying to deal with this with their peers, the casualness of suicide. It's, it's in our kids. It's, I mean, it's in our babies. You hear it talked about freely. Well, what'd you get on that test? 40. I didn't study. I didn't do any of the homework. I did really bad on the test. I'm gonna get home trouble. I, I just need to kill myself. And then... Like maybe I'll get on the, a soda on the way home and then I'll just kill myself. It's, it's become that casual. It's just an everyday routine thing to thought, think about and talk about. The spirit of helpless, well, I, I'm helpless to do anything to change it. It's just breeding. But it's because as we see, and this is always the hard pill to swallow, but I, I, I encourage you to swallow it because it helps us recognize the reality. All of these things started here with the people of God and their relationship with their father. Everything that we see right now that's like, this is bad, has grown because we allowed it first to exist in here. The spirit of helplessness that we see consuming a generation of babies 
has been left unchecked because we allowed it to come in here because I'm, uh, it's tough. And I'm comfortable. And to be uncomfortable is difficult. I mean, it's, this, it's the same thought. It's silly, but it, it gets the message across. I'm not gonna go camping because my very expensive King mattress is a lot more comfortable than the ground. So I'm just not gonna put myself in that uncomfortable situation while I know I've got this comfort over here. But unfortunately, we do that in the kingdom of God. I don't wanna put myself in the backyard. I'd rather just stay inside. It's hot out there. And he may ask me to do something if I go outside. It's like my kids being afraid to come outside with me because the second they step outside, I'm gonna put them to work. Now, sometimes that's true because they need it and they're boys. But we've just chosen to remove ourselves and chosen to subject ourselves to the spirit of helplessness. Helpless to change. It's too big of a thing to deal with. It's what we see with the Israelites. They subjected themselves to the spirit of helplessness, murmuring, talking about the size of the enemy and not recognizing the size of God who had already said this is your land to claim. I mean, if, I wonder what would have happened if these people who had walked through the desert all this time saw the Red Sea parted and, and seen all the miraculousness of God, seen food fall from the sky, seen, uh, seen water come from a rock in the middle of a desert, seen all that they had seen, if they had remembered it in that moment, when those spies came back and said, there's some people over there. They're like, well, we know who, who sent us and all that he's done. I mean, I wonder if there would have even been a fight. What if they had just stepped into the promised land, that which had been given to them by God? Everything, may, they, them giants may have just disappeared. Gone just wiped out because the people of God had claimed what is theirs. They're just plundering that which was given to them freely. It is ours. It is ours to take back. It is ours to take back. It, this kingdom has been completely made open to us. The world is completely made open to us and we can take back that which was originally ours. Because we have the first blessing in our creation was that we would be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. We have dominion. Nothing else. The children of God have dominion. And there's not a thing in front of us to stop us. Not a thing in front of us to stop us. Because we have dominion and there's not an enemy left. What would it look like if a people operated in that truth? There's no issues that plague generations anymore because the people of God take them back. We have dominion and we've been told to be fruitful and multiply. We've been fruitful and multiplied. There's generations across the street and we have dominion. They're ours. Not the world in difficult circumstances or generational strongholds. Uh-uh. They're ours. Go take them. Go take them. Don't wait on the Lord to say, go talk to that person. Go take them. Claim them. 
Walk around that school, claim it. It's not the state's. The building is, the curriculum is, but the people inside are ours. We have dominion. The people of God operating victory, not operating still from the battle, operating in victory. Not choosing the spirit of helplessness, but destroying it by simply going and plundering that which has been freely made available to us. It is all freely made available. All it requires is a little bit of effort. If you want to take the school, you got to walk over there. If you want to find and return those prodigal sons and daughters, you got to run out to them. But then when you get there, you get to so freely and effortlessly clothe them in righteousness and truth and identity. And then, I bet that little bit of a run for the father really wasn't that big, big a deal because he ended the day with a party. What a time. Got to celebrate. That's not that hard. There'd be a celebration after I came out of that room with a black bag full of cash at our house. We'd be celebrating. And that little bit of effort would, would be so, it would, it would be forgotten. It wouldn't be the story that you told. You wouldn't tell the story of this plunder and include how hard you had to work and how tired you were afterwards. That wouldn't be a detail that was mentioned. You would just talk about the celebration and the reality of what, what was yours that you got to claim for yourself. So we, the children of God, cannot submit to this helplessness. And I challenge you, the reason I wanted to, to, to bring it to light is um, it's a it's something that I've also mentioned to one of my students. It's, it's important for us to know what we will indefinitely encounter. Uh, something that uh, one of these kids that I'm getting to meet with is encountering and, and the people that they're mentoring is this victim mentality. Everything happens to me. They need to know what that is. So do we. We need to know when we hear that little stuff that sounds like helplessness, there's a spirit of helplessness that somebody is choosing. We need to know it. Not only to keep ourselves in check, but to be able to effectively minister to those around us. Especially those that call Christ Lord and Savior. Because that's where we see it the most. We see it everywhere else, but you fix it there, everywhere else is going to start to look different. Because everything that we see out there originated here. Good, bad, and the ugly. Fix it here, changes it out there. That's why God doesn't work in government. He works in the church. Change there, government looks different. People of God are pursuing God and filled with the spirit. I guarantee everything else looks different. So that's my challenge to you. That's uh, the the awareness I want you to bring to see that and and to be able to effectively minister into that, but to also recognize for ourselves that we are meant to plunder and take because it is ours, the children of God. We have dominion. What a powerful thing to embrace and what an awesome thing to see. I hope we see it in our lifetime. I believe we will see it in our lifetime that we in this room will operate under that truth, that I have dominion and I'm taking it all back. I will not be helpless. The battle's over. 
Nothing to be helpless over. Nothing to be helpless for. There's no reason for it. Now I just get to go and plunder. A little bit of effort, but far exceeded by the reward. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.